Greetings. I invite you into a holy Advent. I pray that you find some new ways and some old familiar ways to truly remember to breathe and to be present to the presence of God and to take on some spiritual practices or maybe change some spiritual practices that will help you prepare your hearts to receive Jesus. And so I do just ask you to, to intentionally find a way to honor um, the coming of Christ, both as the baby Jesus, as we love to celebrate on Christmas, but also the return to Christ, um, of Christ when Christ comes again, and also preparing your own heart to receive the gift of Jesus. May it be a holy Advent. I'm going to give the pulpit a little pat because it's such a pleasure and privilege to be standing here still. <laughs> Today's gospel reading introduces us to one of the Bible's most colorful and memorable characters. John called the Baptist for his role in bringing scores of people to seek repentance for their sins through immersing them in the waters of the River Jordan. We first become aware of John before his birth. Remember the touching meeting in Luke between Mary, pregnant with Jesus, and Elizabeth, maternal aunt to her, also pregnant with John. Even as a fetus, John was exceptional and excitable. Scripture tells us that when Mary greeted Elizabeth, John leapt for joy in his mother's womb. There is more of the miraculous about that meeting. Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah were old, Elizabeth well beyond her childbearing years. When Gabriel announced to Zechariah that Elizabeth was to bear a child, he refused to believe the angel. Because of his doubt, Gabriel struck Zechariah dumb until the foretold child's circumcision on the eighth day after his birth. When asked, Zechariah wrote on a slate, his name is John, and then was suddenly able to praise God by voice to the astonishment of everyone there. We see then how out of the ordinary this extraordinary man's life was destined to be. In order to flesh out a portrait of John the Baptist, I would like to share with you the picture of him painted by Frederick Beekner who has written about him in his usual casual, almost slangy style. His view is both amusing and insightful. John the Baptist didn't fool around. He lived in the wilderness around the Dead Sea. He subsisted on a starvation diet, and so did his disciples. He wore clothes that even the rummage sale people wouldn't have handled. When he preached, it was fire and brimstone every time. The kingdom was coming all right, he said, but if you thought it was going to be a pink tea, you better think again. If you didn't shape up, God would give you the ax like an elm with a blight or toss you into the incinerator like what's left over when you've lambasted the good out of the wheat. He said being a Jew wouldn't get you any more points than being a Hottentot and one of his favorite ways of addressing his congregation was as a snake pit. 
Your only hope, he said, was to clean up your life as if your life depended on it, which it did, and get baptized in a hurry as a sign that you had. Some people thought he was Elijah, come back from the grave, and some others thought he was the Messiah. But John would have none of either. I'm the one yelling himself blue in the face in the wilderness, he said, quoting Isaiah. I'm the one trying to knock some sense into your heads. One day, who should show up but Jesus? John knew who he was in a second. You're the one who should baptize, be baptizing me, he said. But Jesus insisted. And so they waded out into the Jordan together, and it was John who did the honors. John apparently had second thoughts about him later on, however, and it's no great wonder. Where John preached grim justice and pictured God as a steely-eyed thresher of grain, Jesus preached forgiveness, forgiving love, and pictured God as a host at a marvelous party or a father who can't bring himself to throw his children out, even when they spit in his eye. Where John said people had better save their skins before it was too late, Jesus said it was God who saved their skins. And even if you blew your whole bankroll on liquor and sex like the prodigal son, it still wasn't too late. Where John ate locust and honey in the wilderness with church crowd, Jesus ate what he felt like in Jerusalem with as sleazy a bunch as you could expect to find. Where John crossed to the other side of the street if he saw any sinners heading his way, Jesus seems to have preferred their company to the WCTU, the Stewardship Committee, and the World Council of Churches rolled into one. Where John baptized, Jesus healed. Finally, John decided to settle the thing once and for all and sent a couple of his disciples to put it to Jesus straight. John wants to know if you're the one we've been waiting for or whether should we cool our heels a while longer. Jesus said, you go tell John what you've seen around here. Tell him there are people who have sold their seeing eye dogs and taken up bird watching. Tell him there are people who've traded in aluminum walkers for hiking boots. Tell him down and out have turned into the up and coming and a lot of deadbeats are living it up for the first time in their lives. And three cheers for the one who can swallow all of this without gagging. When they asked Jesus what he had thought about John, he said, they don't come any better. But when the big party up there really gets off the ground, even John will look like about two cents by comparison. Nobody knows how John reacted when his disciples came back with Jesus's message, but maybe he remembered how he had felt that day when he'd first seen him heading toward him through the tall grass along the riverbank and how his heart had skipped a beat when he heard himself say, Behold the Lamb of God, who taketh away the sins of the world. And maybe after he remembered all that and put it together with what they told him about the deadbeats and the aluminum walkers, he decided he must have been right the first time. Well, now that we have a picture of the man John the Baptist, a very vivid one, I'd like to discuss what we can learn from him what we can incorporate into our own lives from his. At first glance, I'm sure we feel there is nothing we share with him. We don't dress crudely, as he does. We do not live on a barren diet. We don't make public scenes or baptize hordes of faith-filled people every day. Nor will our severed heads be presented to a tyrant at his birthday party. He therefore can seem very alien to us, 
Yet I think it is important to remember that this man was treasured by his cousin Jesus above any other human being. Matthew quotes Jesus as saying, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. There could be no higher praise. John must therefore be a person worthy to be emulated in a vital way. What is that way? For all his bombast, John was a deeply humble man. He spoke often of his keen awareness that he was a forerunner of the Messiah, not the Messiah himself. This morning we hear him proclaim, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandal. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. We too, of course, recognize that we are not the Christ, although we do not devote our lives to announcing his coming, as John did with such passion. At least I have not heard of or seen any of you baptizing people in Long Island Sound. But I hope your faith in the presence of Jesus Christ in our lives is as firm, if less flamboyant, than John's. It is something I strive for, to feel, to know beyond any doubt that God perfuses my life with love incarnated in Jesus Christ. That no matter what the, quote, changes and chances of my life may be, I am upheld always by God who is love. I believe then that although we are not called to be, called to be voices crying in the wilderness, we are commanded to interact with one another in our own personal realm with the love of the one whose coming John the Baptist so fervently proclaimed. May we always repent of our sins, as John called us to do. May we always share God's love with one another in the name of the Christ John recognized even before his birth. Above all, may we, like John, always be keenly aware of Christ's presence with us as we walk each other home. Amen. Thank you again for this time together. I pray that we always remember that we are part of a much bigger story, the story of God's love for God's people and the call for us to learn how to love God and learn how to love each and every other person we encounter with the kind of love that God has for us. And now for a blessing. Be present to today. Do not be anxious about what might happen tomorrow. The same God who cares for you today will care for you tomorrow. God will either shield you from suffering or you will be given the unfailing strength to bear it. So be at peace then and cast aside all anxious thoughts and imaginations. In the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be with you this day and remain with you forever. Amen.